Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I am Jesse Mayer, your host of The Salty Pastor with Dr. Douglas Peak, a podcast designed to help you develop a biblical fa- framework in which to understand what is happening in your world today. We're currently in a series titled Essential. Our goal is to answer the questions of why you are essential. Every human being, including you, needs to know that their life matters. Mm-hmm. The answer is found in the New Testament, Book of Ephesians. On Tuesday, we discussed why parenting is essential. During our discussion, we pointed out how the family is essential, especially when it comes to raising children. Mm-hmm. So, without further ado, Dr. Douglas Peake. <laughs> well, since we, we, we discussed the family, we discussed parenting in particular, and how they are the ones who, you know, construct the culture of the family... Uh, it's critical that we understand we're facing times today like no other. And we see uh, just in the political landscape and how the sides are just duking it out like no tomorrow, we see the opposing ideologies that are trying to win the day in our culture. We see... uh, the impact on uh, education and life. Then we see the pandemic and what it's doing. Uh, We are facing times like no other, and everyone is really feeling uh, uncertainty. And so because there's so much uncertainty, the question I hear most often is, what in the world is going on? Is this the end times? You know, is this the final thing? Well, it could be. You know, it could be. Uh, Absolutely. But... As a pastor of 33 years, I want you to realize that over this time, there were three occasions that I personally witnessed where interest in end times prophecy was off the charts like it is now. This is one of the three. And the first one was in the late 80s. And this is right after the fall, kind of the mid to late 80s. It was a fall of the Berlin Wall. And... Uh, during Gorbachev was the premier of the USSR at that time. And Mm -hmm. then just Soviet Union collapsed and there was all this upheaval and all this stuff. Then the second time was two events that happened right back to back. First was Y2K. Ah, yes. Remember that? Yeah. So many people were so concerned about, you know, Y2K and everything. And people were trying to get ready because the heat and electricity electrical grid was going to go down and all this kind of stuff. And then shortly right after that, you know, 18 months later was uh, 9-11 right. when we were attacked. And a lot of people don't realize this or remember, but just prior to that, we had a contested election and we didn't know who the president was going to be until like January or February. I mean, it was kind of pretty late. Was and that the Hanging Chads yes, election? Yes, that was the Hanging Chads election. Yeah, and the Supreme okay. Court had to ultimately uh, settle that. Uh, and so what happened is that was a big because it was so everything was so contentious and everything, and the, all of this tragedy going on. And then right now, people are like, "Is this the end times?" Well, absolutely, it could be, but there's also something else that's going on, you know, and that is. I believe that what you're witnessing right now is a massive dose of reaping what we have sown as a country over the last 50 years. So on Tuesday, you mentioned that the main issue facing parents today is deconstructionism. Yes. You alluded to its significance. Let's unpack that a little bit now. Well, what we did is we seeded into our society in the 60s some basic values, and they've grown 
over the years. And and I I want you to understand that these are I want everybody listening to understand, these are like viruses, okay? These ideas and what they do is they they latch on to cultural movements and they kind of morph and change a little bit, you know, very similar to a cold virus. It's different. Flu virus is different all the time. But at its core, it still has as its premise the same thing. Uh, it shifts and in, in it's uh, the virus's goal is to gain power. And so the first one was uh, postmodernism. And the goal was to unlink, or in Marxism they call it disassociation, but they wanted to unlink, you know, principles and absolute objective principles. Like, for instance, justice is blind, right? Right. It should be blind. Well, we want to unlink that from the language. And so in doing that, postmodernism came across and it really took root in our journalism schools. And this is why everybody hates the media today, because at its core, uh, journalism is not concerned with any objective truth. It's just interested with the story or the narrative. And of course, it appeals to people who spend their time all day long simply writing narratives and stories. It's all about framing. And I think that's why. So postmodernism really rooted into our culture started in the 60s, but it's it really became uh, prevalent in the 90s in our universities. And now you have an entire young adult generation, a lot of millennials that were raised on it. And so that was pretty significant. The other thing is that postmodernism at its core, one of its core values is called deconstructionism. And deconstructionism is simply the notion that you look at something and you, you, you pull it apart. And if you can find a flaw in it, then even though this is not the actual goal of deconstructionism, it, disassociation is, but the practical application of deconstructionism is that if you find something wrong with anything, then that gives you the right or the freedom to reject it, right? Mm. And so... So that was one of uh, these are the things, the values that were seeded postmodernism and deconstructionism into our society. And it, re, it, it latched onto two main currents that I think are really powerful. The first one is the sexual revolution. We talked about that. And what the sexual revolution has done in our perception of sexuality and intimacy, but at its core, what a lot of people are not aware of is that the sexual revolution has tremendous impact on our perception of human beings. What is a human being actually? Hmm. And what it did is it disassociated the notion that human beings are people with souls. You have dignity uh, for every human being because they are a soul, right? They are spiritual to human being. And so sex was a part of that. And so they disassociated sex from that. So it just became like an appetite or a craving, like hunger or thirst or anything else. Right. And so that's when you saw the massive birth and growth of pornography in, the, in America, particularly in the 70s and the 80s. And then when the Internet came, it just became, you know, a billion dollar. It makes more money than the, the sports, you know, NFL right. and the NBA and the MLB and so forth. So sexual revolution had a huge current for it. And today that's really you see it today. Young young people grow up and they basically um, it's really fascinating to me, the contradiction of what they believe. And that is, is this is that is that sex doesn't really matter. You can have sex with anybody you want. Sex is just a craving. Da, da, da. 
but we want to build entire identities around sexuality, like homosexuality or bisexuality or transgenderism. And they try now they're trying to. So by they're trying to disassociate the meaning of human beings by taking out sex, sexuality, now taking out gender, you're disassociating all these things. And that's why you get these really wild outcomes, you know, and and so that's all due to the the sexual revolution that was partnered with postmodern thought that came in in the 60s. And that's why we have such confusion about it today, so much so that when you actually talk about God's point in sexuality, you are called a hateful, racist bigot. Hmm. And I find that really fascinating, the demonization of God's original design, because the point of the original design was fulfillment, love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. And the world has become so upside down that that goal and that design is now vilified and considered evil. I find that really fascinating as, as a shift culturally. Right. And the other one is uh, uh, feminism in the sense of modern day phys- feminism. And I talked about this before. We're not talking about women's suffrage. We're not talking about the notion that uh, if a man or a woman are doing a job, they should be paid equally. That's a biblical concept from the New Testament. There's no question there. What we're talking about is the philosophical feminism that's come out. Some people call it third wave feminism. Uh, And what it's tried to do is latch on to women's suffrage and to all of these other types of things. But when you actually look at it and study it, it's just really... Uh, a a cultural wind out there that has been very destructive to women. And we showed the research on it and we linked the articles to it as well as um, uh, it's been very destructive to the family as well. And so these, these are some of the things that deconstruction and postmodernism have brought into our culture and are driving our culture today in these current social movements that we see manifesting themselves. So what are the practical outcomes of these currents you're talking about, these, these cultural currents? Well, I think what's one thing that's really, really interesting to me is there is a, uh, uh, an article that just came out um, about like a, a biblical worldview, you know? Mm-hmm. And basically the point of the biblical worldview thing is that, uh, uh, like I was saying earlier, a God perspective, a God ordained or a God's original design perspective is often in scholarly circles referred to as a biblical worldview. And what they mean by that is you kind of see your reality through the lens of biblical principles. And it's really interesting is that if you get rid of a biblical worldview, can you have all of the things that are good about our society? Uh, Because, historians say this over and over again and that is is that so much of what we like the notion of liberty that justice should be applied equally to everyone that all people all life has dignity the sovereignty of the individual and we could go down that list all of those things exist uniquely in america and western civilizations and could those things and they all grew out of the soil of a biblical worldview a lot of people are uh uh, try to debate about our forefathers, our founding fathers. 
you know, about whether they were Christians and committed Christians and stuff like that. And so people have all these names for them. The bottom line is that's actually irrelevant. That is not a pertinent, pertinent fact. Because the fact of the matter is, is that every one of our founding fathers, regardless of their personal faith, was absolutely and unequivocally steeped in a biblical worldview. Hmm. They read the Bible. They knew the Bible. Uh, lots made with uh, Thomas Jefferson that, you know, maybe he wasn't a follower of Christ or whatever. Uh, I think that's secondary to the note that he understood the Bible so much that he went through and he edited the entire Bible for his own personal usage. And he, he did edit out all the miracles of Jesus and stuff like that. But people who bring this up miss the point. And the point is, how could he have done that if he is not, was not steeped from his earliest days in a biblical worldview? It's kind of like the, the rules are... You, you learn the rules so you know how to break them. So yeah. he, he, was, he had enough knowledge of it to go and modify it. Like, yeah, he could say, well, this is what's pertinent to what we're doing. And this is, oh, this speaks to maybe the deity of Christ. And I'm not going to, I'll take that out of my personal Bible. And so, but he still had a Bible and he was still steeped in it. John Locke, Hume, all of these philosophers steeped in a biblical worldview. So the question is, can you maintain the fruit of democracy, the fruit of liberty, the fruit of individual sovereignty, uh, all of these things by taking away the soil? And of course, my contention is, no, that's completely illogical. You know, you can't take an orange tree and plant it in an Arizona, you know, desert and have it grow fruit unless you bring what it needs. Right. And right. so all those orange groves down there in the Phoenix area uh, are all they have to bring in the nutrients and they have to bring in the water. Without that, it, those things would have died. Right. And it's the same way as that the soil that we have is critically important to the fruit that we get from the tree that grows in it. So uh, in the article I wanted to refer to is this, is that only 2% of millennials today, I'm not trying to pick on the millennials, I'm just trying to say. Man, why are you guys always attacking millennials? You know, they're, they're the largest group of demographics. They, they're equal to baby boomers, and baby boomers are dying. Right. So they're a massive amount of, of population percent right. in America, and only 2% of American millennials adhere to a biblical worldview. Wow. Now, what that tells me is that even the, the percent that are actually uh, consider themselves Christian is much higher than that. But they're Christians without a biblical worldview, hmm. which that's why I would say that their faith is probably more frustrating and aggravating than empowering and transformative. But uh, what's interesting to me is that the things that, that a biblical worldview is is things like this do you view that jesus christ lived a sinless life or not do you believe that god is the all-powerful all-knowing creator of the universe and he's still sitting on the throne today Uh, a biblical worldview is that salvation is a gift from god and cannot be earned it's a gift of grace satan is a real entity Uh, uh, christians have a responsibility to share their faith so I'm not, we're not talking radical concepts about a biblical worldview, right. right? These are basics of the faith. And so I think that's a big deal, in my opinion, is that that's how, the, that's how it is. These, these current uh, 
these currents in our society have impacted the practical outcome is that we have very few people who don't have any idea how to identify, evaluate, and make wise discerning judgments about what's going on in society today. There is in Ephesians chapter 4, it says they're tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. So they're just tossed around like a tumbleweed constantly. And I think that's sad because it steals joy. It steals security. Most importantly, it steals your confidence and your capacity to live a courageous life. So how does this affect what Paul is teaching us in Ephesians 6? We, re- we read through some of Ephesians 6 on Tuesday. How do these things um, affect that? Well, the whole issue is that when it comes right down to it, all of these currents and all of these philosophies have at its core a desire to undermine the nuclear family. Okay, And there's an article... Uh, that came out, it was a study published by a professor from uh, the University of Warwick and a professor from the University of Wisconsin, Adam Swift and Harry Brighouse. And they basically say this, it says that the family, the intact family is a source of unfairness in society. And I'm going to talk about why they conclude this in a moment. Therefore, it's plausible to think that if we abolish the family, there would be a more level playing field for everybody else. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they actually publish this. And I'm not making this up. And what's interesting is they they do admit that, well, it's kind of impossible to abolish the nuclear family. So let's just do everything we can to hinder it and treat it as a second class entity in society so we should make rules and laws and regulations against the nuclear family oh my gosh (laughs) is this crazy now why would they want to do that well here's why is according to the census bureau and the pew research center there are the following distinct ethnic groups in america the largest is caucasian and of course there's a lot of different subsets of that the second is hispanic then there's black then there is Asian, and there is Native Indian. Now, because of uh, critical race theory, the position is, is that America is a systemically racist society, and it's based on white supremacy. Okay? However, according to the Census Bureau, is that the most prosperous groups are not based on the size of the groups. For instance, the most prosperous ethnic group in America are Asians. They're the wealthiest, most prosperous, Hmm. most highly educated. Behind that is Caucasian, but when it's broken down, the top Caucasians are Jewish, which everybody admits that Jewish people have been some of the most discriminated against people in history. Right. Right. And in World War Two, the amount of Jews that were wiped out is unbelievably high as a percent of their total global population. And many of them came to America uh, afterwards to escape that and have uh, to be accepted. And then you have uh, prosperity after that is Hispanic. Right. And then you look at after that is black. And then after that is native Indian. 
Therefore, if America is a systemically racist society, then how is it that Asians are the most prosperous group when they're one of the smallest minorities? So, that do, so the notion of causation or correlation just doesn't fit, especially when you consider that they are the ethnic group in America that was discriminated against the most verisifly, oh boy, I got that word out, <laughs> during World War II. They were put in internment camps. Right. You're right? So that's pretty recent. You know what I'm saying? That's in the last, you know, 70, 80 years. So we're talking one generation. Right. And yet they're also the most prosperous now. So are there any other factors? What would be the one factor that could actually show the a direct causation through correlation of or both through this prosperous thing that uh, the Census Bureau puts out? Well, here it is. Asian children are the most likely to be living with both parents. 84% are living with both biological parents in their first marriage. 84%. Hmm. Roughly uh, 8 in 10, 78% of Caucasian children are living with two parents, including... Half are living with the parent, their biological parents in their first marriage. Okay, so 78 percent are living with two parents in the home and 52 percent are living with both parents in their first marriage in the home. And the thing that skews this up too, when you go into that number in Caucasians and you break it down is that Jewish people have a very high rate of of kids growing up with two parents in the home and highly educated uh, parents tend to stay together and and kids are raised in that regard. So you, you see how intact families have a huge impact on it. Number three, Hispanic children, two thirds live with two parents in the home. All right. 43% live with parents in their first marriage. Now, Black children stand in stark contrast to other major racial and ethnic groups. And I'm reading from this study. Uh, Only 46 percent live with two parents. No, I'm sorry. 38 percent live with two parents. 54 percent live with a single parent. 70 percent of black children are born to single moms. And the father isn't in their life. So what's interesting is native Indians have rates at the same level or lower than black families, depending upon the reservation in which they live. So the correlation here is overwhelming and the causation can be easily drawn. So family is way more important than a secular society says it is, um, especially these yahoos who are saying we need to abolish the nuclear family. (laughs) Yeah. So what ways does a strong marriage and a strong family impact a person's life? Well, first and foremost is that a strong family cures poverty. The, the, be- the, the thing is, is that if we want poverty to be er- eradicated, then we should spend all of our time doing everything we can to see families stay intact. Uh, that is the quickest way is, is to cure poverty. This has been proven over and over and over again. Uh, second thing is this, is that uh, it 
is the best thing for you across the board. There's an article out called, Hey Guys, Put a Ring on It by Bradford Wilcox and Nicholas Wolfinger. It is published uh, February 9th in 2017. And what's interesting is it shows a graph, which is the long-term trend over time for men, ages 20 to 39, is that in, seven, in 1970, over 70% of this age group was married. Now it's about 35%. So it's almost been cut in half. Wow. And the thing about it is, is that most young men, um, they talk about uh, a guy named Six Crack, Six Pack Craig, not Six Crack, Six Pack <laughs> Craig. And that is, he's, he says that his life is so fulfilled and because he's in such great shape, he has more uh, sexual intimacy with really good looking women than any other time. And so they wanted to study this and they found out that if you're a guy and if you're married, guess what? you are going to be so much more wealthier, up to 24% wealthier than if you're a single guy, okay? Number two, it says that you're going to, uh, when it comes down to it, all the research says that guys who are married have much happier, fulfilling, and better sex lives across the board. Quality of married sex trumps that of unmarried sex every single time, according to the National Health and Social Life Survey. So, it also impacts your health. Men d just don't enjoy better sex life when married. They are also more likely to enjoy better health. So they are healthy. So guess what? If you're rocking the dad, dad bod, that means you're a healthy a guy. Healthy <laughs> <laughs> your immune systems are function better, which leads to better health. Uh, happiness, joy. Uh, men who are married uh, have double or triple the rates of being very happy as single men or men who are cohabitating. Hmm. So they even break it down by cohabiting. So if you're married, you are way ahead of the curve. And I just wanted to read to this that's really interesting. They conclude it. 42% of first marriages for men in a divorce, and most of these are initiated by women. That means many men who marry will end up unwillingly divorced. These men obviously don't realize much of a return on their investment in married life. And that's why some young men are turning away from married, but marriage. However, the impact on your life is unbelievably possible, positive as a married man. So both scholarly research and common sense suggest there are a number of things men can do to reduce the risk of divorce. So not only is getting married really, really good for you across the board, financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, sexually, across the board. Here, here's the keys. Number one, men who hold down a stable job have a much less rate of divorce. They do not abuse drugs or alcohol. Hmm. Don't abuse drugs or alcohol. Your chances of staying married go way up. Num, number two, you are sexually faithful. One of the biggest reasons women initiate divorce is because husbands are sexually unfaithful. Here's a really big thing in their, their study. They said, you attend religious services regularly with your spouse. So if you think as a guy that you're staying home and you're sending your wife and kids to church without you is going to help you stay married, guess again. It ain't going to happen. It says they also make a regular effort to be emotionally engaged in their marriage. So if you keep these facts in mind, you are going to have an awesome life. 
However, you live in a society that wants to undermine your marriage. It wants to get men out of the household. And that's because Jesus tells a parable in the New Testament. And he says this, if you want to go in and rob a strong man's house, what do you do first? You enter in and you bind the strong man. And so Jesus is saying is that, look, bottom line, guys, is that the quickest way for Satan to get his way in our society today to make it so that young people are rioting in the streets so that ethnic divisions are tearing apart the fabric of our country, that uh, communism and Marxism and socialism is being considered as a political uh, option in our society today, that people are more drug addicted, opiate abuse is going off the charts, people are filled with anxiety and depression. You just look at all this ruin and wreckage. It all has to do with the fact that men have been bound by Satan because they have been told a lie about marriage and about what it means to be a masculine man who people men who love God men who love their wives men who love their children and if you go to the one of the last verses in the Old Testament it's Malachi chapter 4 it says there will come a time when God turns the heart of fathers back to their children and their families and he will heal the land and so there's a healing that will come when men step up and say hey we are going to do this and i'll tell you what the people who are going to stand in the in the way of this are uh these feminist women are going to stand in the way of it and they're going to try to get men to take a back seat because It's not that they're uh, wanting equality. They believe that the only way to advance is to denigrate the power of a masculine heart. And so that's pretty salty to say that, but it is definitely the truth. So these are some pretty eye-opening insights that our society seems to have lost track of. Um, How can we get them back? Well, I I think that first and foremost, uh, this is a shameless plug, is share the salty pastor with your friends. (laughs) No shame here. (laughs) No, in all seriousness, is that uh, in the Old Testament, it says, if my people called by my name would humble themselves and pray, I will come and heal the land. Now, this was under the Old Covenant with uh, God's, Uh, relationship and agreement with the people of Israel. But the principle, as we talked about on uh, Tuesday, is true today. And that is, is that the very nature of God's presence is creative, it's healing, it's redemptive, it's loving, and it's restoring. And so not until there's another spiritual awakening are we going to be able to see these things come back. Because right now, the desire is to fight against them. And so the way you fight against them, in my opinion, is you don't pick a political side and, and race up that hill with a bullhorn because that you're, you're playing the game their way. Right. You know, it's just a, it's just a pugilist match. It's a boxing match. You know, who's going to pound the other guy the hardest to win? It's a power play. If you really want these principles to seeded back into our culture, then I think what we're going to have to do is we're going to be have to be a light in the darkness, a city set on a hill where we say, look, 
the people of God live differently, we act differently, we value things differently. That doesn't mean we don't engage the culture. It doesn't mean we don't challenge the culture. But the other thing is, is that the, our weapons of warfare are divinely inspired. They are not the weapons of flesh and blood, but they are divinely inspired for the destruction of fortresses. So I would say that the main thing we have to do is we have to get, we got to become people of prayer. We got to become people who are passionate about our faith. But most importantly, we have to know what we believe, why we believe it. And we have to be aware of all of these ideologies and all of these things that attack the foundations, the soil in which all of this wonderful fruit grows out of. See, we are the salt of the earth. We are to be that soil, that good soil. And if we're not developing it and growing it and nurturing it through a biblical worldview, meaning we look at reality through God's perspective, uh, none of these things are going to come back. Well, thank you for all those thoughts. We are very excited, myself included, to hear more about this on Sunday during your sermon. Um, Make sure you guys check the show notes if you want to read these articles for yourself. Um, Pastor Doug constantly talks about, you know, we're just here to help you on your journey. You got to do the legwork. So make sure you're reading these articles for yourself so that you're not just blindly following what we're saying here. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, like and subscribe if you're on YouTube. Leave us a review if you're on your um, uh, Apple iTunes or podcasts, um, and uh, we will see you on Sunday. Blessings.